market after the first round of profit reports, plus warnings that the coronavirus recession could go on much longer than most of us expect. It's great to have your company for another episode. Today I want to use this as a bit of a wrap of the past week or so, just to try and work out where we are from an economic, from a business and corporate, but also from a political point of view when it comes to the recession prompted by the coronavirus. Because if you sit and think about it, it could be that this time next year, we are still in exactly the same situation as we are today. More cases, less cases, but maybe not with a vaccine that is so desperately needed. I'm going to go through that today with some of the statements that have been made this week by our senior bankers, by the head of our biggest telecommunications company, Telstra, but also by the governor of the Reserve Bank, Philip Lowe. For it seems right now that while everybody is waiting to get back to normal, maybe we've got a new normal because perhaps, and this is the sad part of it, a vaccine is much further away than many of us anticipate. Maybe right now all of us need to be starting to adjust to a new normal while we're waiting. I've been waiting a lifetime for this moment to come. I'm destined for anything at all. So let's start all of this with the unemployment rate. This week we saw it went through 1 million people unemployed. And of course, perhaps as many again that are seeking work or indeed more again that even can't find the work that they require. Now politicians, I've got to tell you, particularly government politicians right now, are very wary about trying to talk anything down. They're trying to make it as upbeat as they possibly can. Well, these numbers are pretty good. There's more people around, but beware. So Michaelia Cash, the employment minister, she had the job of putting it out there. But as I say, trying to put the most positive spin on it as she possibly could. Because in my opinion, unemployment long-term has got to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. The Reserve Bank, remember, says it believes unemployment will still rise from here especially as the lockdowns in Victoria get worse. Anyway, let's start. Here's Michaelia Cash. The figures do not take into account stage four restrictions in Victoria. Um, Absolutely devastating impact on the labour market in Victoria. That was not reflected in July's figures. And in fact, Victoria went from 7.5% down to 6.8%. And in July, they actually saw employment increase uh, by almost 23,000. It is going to be, Jim, a very different story uh, when the figures are released for August. So let's now get that more sobering view of the unemployment rate from the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe. We're expecting the published unemployment rate to decline gradually from its 10% peak, but to still be around 7% in a few years' time. Addressing this high unemployment rate should be very high on our list of national priorities. So you betcha it should be on our list of national priorities, which is the reason why I continue to say here in this forum 
that Australia has got to start to build some very big infrastructure projects very quickly. The right ones, mind you, ones that will take Australia forward into the future. Because while Philip Lowe throws out that long-term unemployment rate of 7%, remember that's your kids or grandkids, maybe even you, who simply can't find a job. And the reason why I'm alarmed by this is because I know of people who have lived through previous recessions when there were simply no jobs for them to be had. I can remember situations where houses went in the market and it wasn't a case that they just simply couldn't sell because the buyers and sellers couldn't match a price. It was because there were no buyers out there to be had. That's how desperate recessions get. So anyway, again, go back to Philip Lowe, kind of ever hopeful but at least with a little weather eye to the what-ifs, the medical breakthroughs do not come. In our baseline scenario, we're expecting the Australian economy to contract by around 6% this year and then grow by 5% next year and 4% in 2022. It's certainly possible that we'll do better than this if there's a near-term success in containing the virus or there are medical breakthroughs. But on the other hand... If we were to see further setbacks in containing the virus, the recovery would be delayed even further. And Philip Lowe wasn't the only banker out there this week having a note of caution, a big note of caution, but also having that optimistic air. There was also the very highly regarded chief executive of the National Australia Bank, Ross McEwen, whose reputation was significantly enhanced by his period at the distressed Royal Bank of Scotland. The outlook remains highly uncertain. Many challenges remain in the short term. The impact of COVID-19 is much deeper than I have experienced in previous cycles. This crisis requires a very different and fluid response. I am, however, optimistic about the long term for Australia and New Zealand and for NAB. And our current expectation is that 2022 should be a good year for both countries. Okay, optimistic, but what you can see is that they're all banking on the idea that there's going to be some sort of a magical vaccine suddenly turn up. And there's no doubt there is enormous effort being put into the discovery of a vaccine. Now, notwithstanding Russia's supposed efforts this week, there are 160 separate projects right now investigating some form of vaccine for coronavirus. There's only one problem. In the past 25 years, there have only been seven vaccines successfully brought to the market anywhere in the world. And this is the chief executive of the company that is responsible for four of those seven vaccines. Ken Frazier, the chief executive of Merck, speaking with the Harvard Business School. Well, first of all, it takes a lot of time. I think the record for the fastest vaccine ever brought to market was Merck in the mumps vaccine. It took about four years. Our most recent vaccine for Ebola took five and a half years. And why does it take so long? First of all, it requires a rigorous scientific assessment. And here we didn't even understand the virus itself or how the virus affects the immune system. So we're starting there. Um, We're starting with a spike protein as the antigen. And what we're hoping to be able to do with these different approaches is to create a vaccine that we can study quickly, uh, that can be both safe and effective and can be durable. Those are three different issues. And so no one knows for sure whether or not any of these vaccine programs will produce a vaccine like that. Uh, And what worries me the most is that the public is so hungry, is so desperate to go back to normalcy that they're pushing us to move things faster and faster. But ultimately, if you're going to use a vaccine in 
billions of people. You better know what that vaccine does. So effectively, what Ken Fraser is talking about here is, number one, that we don't have a great history of bringing successful vaccines to the market. And remember, there has been no successful vaccine brought to market for any form of coronavirus to this date. Now, you've got to be hopeful. You've got to be optimistic. But you've also got to be just that little bit realistic that this might take a whole bunch longer than what politicians, business people, or indeed your own central bank governors might like to imagine. The idea you're going to get some rapid economic bounce back next year, well, it might happen. But gee, I'll tell you what, it's not going to be life as normal. And I think that's the point that Ken Frazier, the chief executive of Merck, is trying to say. We've seen in the past, for example, with the swine flu, that that vaccine did more harm than good. So we don't want to, we don't have a great history of introducing vaccines quickly in the middle of a pandemic. So we want to keep that in mind. When we do tell people that a vaccine's coming right away, we allow politicians to actually tell the public not to do the things that the public needs to do, like wear the damn masks. So then just to finish up today, just again going back to the Reserve Bank Governor, because what happens eventually when the government starts to, well, run out of effort or money to continue to prop up the economy? As we have said always, that's the time when the real recession genuinely starts. What we're seeing right now is the classic government response, the Keynesian response, if you like, to what happens next. And so the Reserve Bank governor starts to mull some suggestions that the Reserve Bank should simply start to print money, give it to the government, that then starts to build infrastructure projects. The issue is that that money's got to come from somewhere and somebody has to pay it back. Somebody has to pay back ultimately the debts and the money that is printed. This is the point of the Reserve Bank Governor when Philip Lowe spoke this week. One monetary policy option that has been the subject of recent discussion is the possibility of the RBA creating money to directly finance government spending so-called MMT. For some, this offers the possibility of a free lunch. The harsh reality, though, is there's no free lunch. There's no magic pudding here, and there's no way of putting aside the government's budget constraint permanently. As I spoke about in a talk last month, it's certainly possible for a central bank to use monetary financing to affect when and how government spending is paid for. Depending upon how things are managed, it can be paid for through the inflation tax, by implicit taxes on the banking system, or by higher general taxes in the future. But it does have to be paid for at some point. So in other words, somewhere, someone has to pay the bill. We all know this. There is no free ride. There's no free money out there. And so somebody has to work, earn a profit, and pay the taxes to get us out of this mess. The real problem right now is we just don't know how long this mess is going to go. But what we do know is the longer it goes, the worse it's going to be for future taxpayers. Not just here, but everywhere around the world. Prosperity will become diminished. Sure, there'll be pockets where people will do well in certain parts of technology, certain aspects, maybe some staples that we all use. But the vast majority of people will be harmed in some way 
by the economic times that we have today. Now, look, on a brighter note, what I'm going to do on Monday is have a chat with Roger Montgomery from Montgomery Investment Management, who clearly is highly regarded and listened to on the subject of the stock market and the economy. But we've got some other great episodes coming up. I've got a little secret one coming up about diamonds that I think is kind of interesting to you. Bit of history lesson as well there. In the meantime, while we're all waiting, I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. Have a great weekend. I've been waiting a lifetime for this moment to come. I'm destined for anything at all. Don't show.